Welcome in to the Paul Kuharski Podcast, part of 440 Sports. I'm Paul Kuharski of paulkuharski.com. I have fulfilled my contractual obligation to mention my name three times in the first 15 seconds. And now I'm ready to get started on this mission with you. We're going to talk about Derrick Henry, uh, potential for a trade uh, of him, and the potential for big changes with the Titans. Faster wide receivers, which the Titans absolutely have to have. Lessons from Mike Heimerdinger, who was hired this week in the year 2000, ancient history now. Throwback jerseys and sleepy Titans fans. You got to hear uh, me rant on that. Players and social media, all important topics. No gimmicks, just straight talk. And straight talk is not my gimmick. It's just what I do. So away we go. The Derrick Henry story emerged out of Mike uh, Silver, um, veteran NFL reporter, now a columnist in San Francisco, who also does work for Bally's and has a, a, a podcast that I believe is tied to Colin Coward's network. Nobody is better made for combine work than Mike Silver. He can go out and drink and hobnob till four o'clock in the morning with GMs, with executives, with scouts, with coaches. Um, and uh, so he came out of the combine and said three names that he heard were being shopped. Um, and one of them was, was Derek Henry. I'm sure he chose that word shopped carefully, not willy nilly. Um, but then the CBS report comes and people say, well, there are conflicting reports on whether Henry is being shopped. Um, look, did, did Jonathan Jones go to 31 GMs and say, did, did you hear anything from the Titans about Derrick Henry? Were they gauging his price or monitoring your interest? I don't think he did go to 31 GMs and get a no on that. So logical reasoning here as to how he would have come with that report is he went to the Titans, said, hey, were you shopping Derrick Henry? And of course the Titans are going to say no. Titans aren't going to admit to this. So strikes me as you're serving as somewhat of a mouthpiece of the Titans. You're taking the Titans' word um, for this. The Titans could get in a semantic thing here, shopping strong for them. You know, In, in their eyes, they weren't shopping him. In their eyes – you know, doing due diligence and, you know, asking a question or whatever. But I have no doubt that the Titans, um, you know, <clears throat> whatever you want to call it, were, were feeling out what they could get for Derrick Henry, which is what they should be doing at this stage. Derrick Henry heading into his eighth season, um, starting to slow down, still capable of, of, uh, a heavy workload and Titans, I think would have trouble replacing um, his touches and his yardage, but you know, uh, $10 million base salary this year is awfully high for a running back, no matter what he's, he's doing. I think they have trouble finding a buyer and getting a reasonable return for him. Who's going to give him the workload that he's got here that he needs in order to really get going? Who's going to take on a $10 million salary for a running back for one year of contract? Who's right around that 30-year-old mark where people start to fade? I think people would rather use their third-round pick or their fourth-round pick to get their own guy. Um, 
who fits their system and uh, has far less tread on the tires and the like. But um, I don't blame the Titans for looking into the possibilities here, and I would be looking into the possibilities for uh, for a lot of things. The interesting thing here is, uh, you know, the fan loyalty to Derrick Henry, and I certainly understand it. He's been the number one guy for this team, for this offense anyway, for, uh, you know, five years. He's been on the roster seven years. Five years he's he's carried the offense. And um, a lot of fans have his jersey. Um, You know, a lot of fans – believe in him more than they've believed in a Titan in a, in a long, long time. But you also have to be smart and have the foresight of uh, the beginning the middle and the end of a guy and want your team to, uh, to have a good feel for the end of a guy. <clears throat> and I want to uh, call on Pat Bain, who's a member of paulkuharski.com who said uh, he, he wrote uh, a note on the, I believe a private Facebook page and I'm going to take him public because I think it was very smart what he had to say. He said, so many Titans fans want to complain about signs that our offensive coordinator and general manager are going to be the same as their respective predecessors. Yet the minute they hear rumors about a potential trade that would substantially signify a change in direction of the team, the pitchforks immediately come out. And I think that's a very astute observation. (laughs) Do you want the new guys to do new things? Well, new things may uh, include new players at positions, even including running back. Um, Again, I think the Titans would have trouble moving Derrick Henry. I think the Titans would have trouble. I was looking at Buffalo. Buffalo, if you take Josh Allen out of it, ran the ball 18 times a game last year. you know, if you trade for Derrick Henry and give him 12 of those carries, are you going to get out of Derrick Henry what people expect out of Derrick Henry when he's getting, what, you know, 23 carries or more on a lot of Sundays for the Titans? Uh, I, I don't think so. Um, but I certainly would want these new guys, like uh, Pat Bannon's pointed out here, to, to look into absolutely everything. I wrote this week a little bit about uh, smaller wide receivers. The Titans want to be faster. And I think to get faster, you're going to have to get smaller. There's no marquee wide receiver in this draft, I don't think, to tempt them at 11. But the Titans like their wide receivers big. And if you want big and fast, those guys are premium guys who are going to cost you big-time picks. If you uh, don't want uh, – if you wait longer, odds are you're giving up some characteristic. And if you want to stay and keep a fast guy, if you want to keep speed as, as a, a priority – you're probably going to give up size. Of the 16 wideouts who ran a 4-4-5 or faster in Indianapolis, 10 of them were under 6 feet tall, and 9 were 183 pounds or less. 
Well, the Titans willing to go smaller like that to uh, to get the speed and explosiveness that they really need if this guy qualifies as a vertical threat as opposed to, you know, uh, more of a shifty slot guy. You know, can you find a blocker in that type or will they take a little less of a blocking type? Are these guys durable enough for them? Um, you know, you're giving up a little bit of something. Mike Vrabel kind of said, well, the traits that they do have are those, you know, good enough. Uh, it's the trade-off that's kind of enough. Now, one guy that uh, a, a lot of people at the site like, and, and I like him too, is DJ Chark. So it, it, if you can't find the speed necessarily in the draft, can you find it in free agency? DJ Chark. Jacksonville, then Detroit. He ran a 4.34 out of LSU. He's 6'4, 198. So he's giving you vertical size, not necessarily horizontal size. He's not a, a super thick guy by any means. <clears throat> I reached out to Blake Bettingfield, who you're going to hear from on the site again soon, our resident scout. He told me he's a finesse vertical wide receiver, that he hasn't been a blocker, but that that is a mentality thing and that players can evolve as a blocker if they're forced to. So what is Chark's willingness to block should uh, a team like the Titans be a primary suitor for him? And also a guy who's going to his third team and closer to the end of his career than his beginning, um, you know, becomes, uh, it becomes a more uh, urgent need to go block um, at, uh, at that stage. So um, I, I'm intrigued by him, but the Titans, absolutely, they want to get faster roster wide. And the most notable position for speed is, uh, is wide receiver. Um, they've got to have a vertical threat with or without Henry, um, whatever. Have to whoever's at quarterback. I think it's going to be Tannehill. You've got to threaten downfield in a way that they uh, they haven't. And th their numbers actually, you know, for big plays and stuff, um, are, are not bad. Um, but you know, they're coming via uh, Burks when he's been out there, had his share. Chig certainly uh, did a, a phenomenal job of finding big plays. But the Titans. Uh, and, and some of these are catch and run plays, which are fine. A.J. Brown had plenty of, of plays that were like that, where he was running away from people after he had the ball instead of running under deep throws. He did that too. But more consistently threatening um, off the line in a game plan for a defense to have to worry about guys and not Racy McMath, who's got four or five career catches. You need somebody – that's going to assuredly get himself in the lineup. So that, that's another thing. You know, if you're drafting a third or fourth rounder, it needs to be a guy that uh, you're not going to be telling us over and over, well, you know, I don't know the route tree is not ready or, or that you're not saying those things about, but that we're presuming those things about because you're not putting him on the field. This draft class is going to have to be on the field. Um, and uh, uh, might be, you know, more difficult than, than we're thinking. And Vrabel's going to have to change his thinking with some of that stuff. 
You know, do you have to know everything to be on the field as a wide receiver? It seems like that's what they've wanted here, where with other teams, you know, a guy can know three routes and be put out there to run those three routes, can win with those three routes, um, and that's allowed. Will we see a change um, in, in that regard? I, I don't know. That's one of the many stories we'll be following. Um I'm recording on Wednesday. Tuesday, I uh, had the luxury of watching my football team, my soccer team, Chelsea, um, from West London, play in the Champions League. They play a home-and-home, and then the aggregate goals, the, the total goals from the two games, determine if you advance or not. Chelsea has been absolutely horrific this season really, but particularly the last couple of months, they cannot score. Even when they have great scoring chances, they do not score. Uh, there's a stat called X goals, XG expected goals. They're like have scored 10 fewer goals in, in recent last couple of months than they should have scored. They, they, they cannot find a way to finish. And they came in this, uh, second game against Dortmund playing at, at home in, in London, uh, down one nothing. So they needed to win at least uh, two uh, – needed to score at least two goals, two nothing to, to advance aggregate 2-1. And they were playing badly. They had a good start but then settled in and, again, just would not score. So what I'm getting to is – uh, I know a lot of Titans fans say, you know, if we could just win one Super Bowl, then I would take – you know, anything and call back to the, to the Super Bowl. And I think a lot of Buccaneers fans, when Brady got to Tampa Bay and won the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay, you kind of say like, I'll take the trade off. If you win the championship, I'll take what comes. Now they're going to take Kyle Trask. They took this bad year where, you know, things just didn't ever look like, like they were going to pan out and they had injuries and they changed to a bad coach and things just, went terribly so early in this Chelsea game Chelsea I became a fan in 2019 when the Titans went over to London and my family and I went to to see Chelsea play and this was pre-Christian Pulisic being on the team and in 2021 just two years ago they won the Champions League they won Europe the best thing you can do as a club team in Europe absolutely thrilling big massive right so I was watching them early in this game on Tuesday look bad after. And, and so they're already out of the uh, English Premier League. They got no chance to win the English Premier League or any anything else of significance. Only thing they could do is advance in this tournament, <clears throat> get to the quarterfinals and, you know, give you some more hope that maybe they spring an upset and go win this tournament or at least continue to advance and, and provide meaningful games. But early in the game, when they're missing again, and I'm presuming they're going to lose, I'm trying in my head to think of the Champions League win from just two seasons ago. I say to myself, all right, this is where you say to yourself, well, we won that championship two years ago. This is where you'd be happy about that championship two years ago. Know that you can't win all the time. Swallow it. Watch them, but know that they suck right now and they can't score and couldn't do it. Can't do it. 
I don't know, you know. So for everybody that says, you know, take that one championship and then whatever happens after that, you know, the poll comes out. Would you trade one Super Bowl for five playoffless years? Would you trade one Super Bowl for 10 years of 500 football? A lot of people say yes to that. I, I would tend to say yes to that. Maybe not for the Yankees because their standards are generally higher, even though recent history isn't. But I was just thinking of all of the times that question is asked and how my answer yesterday was like, I, I can't put myself in a place watching that game where 2021's Champions League win makes me feel any more content about what's going on right now or puts me at ease about it or anything like that. So I wonder, I'd like to hear from some of you like, what your trade-off would be. And it sounds good when you're saying it. I wasn't saying it back then. Chelsea's regularly competitive. Um, and it wasn't like I was long-suffering. That I was a new fan of a team that has a history of being good. But there's no way in that moment, at least, maybe after it's over, had they lost, I could have. doesn't work, though. When your team's bad and playing poorly, you can't, in the moment, certainly, think back to the Super Bowl that they won or think back to the Champions League run that they went on and make yourself feel better about it. It doesn't function that way. So it sounds good when you say it, but in actuality, I don't think you can do it. Maybe in a long-term view, we'll see, because they'll probably lose in the, in the quarterfinals, and then I'll have to revisit it. Um, Mike Heimerdinger was hired on March 7th, 2000. Les Steckel, story that I had a scoop on, left the Titans, went and visited uh, Tony Dungy in Tampa Bay. And um, Jeff Fisher was not happy about that. And uh, it's good for Steckel that he got that job because I, I think Fisher would have been done with him if he didn't. Enter Mike Heimerdinger, <clears throat> who was connected to Mike Shanahan in Denver and uh, Jeff Fisher and Shanahan were good good friends, and uh, in came Mike Heimerdinger. He was here from 2000 to 2004, and then he went to the Jets in 2005 to link up with Herm Edwards because he thought that job could trampoline him. He wasn't getting much volume or enough volume as a head coaching candidate um, from his time with the Titans, so he decided to take a, take a chance that exposure in New York um, would get him um, exposure as a head coaching candidate. It did not. That was a bad year in New York. Herm Edwards got fired. It was a disaster season. Eric Mangini wanted to keep him, but uh, he managed to negotiate out of there, went back to Denver as assistant head coach for Shanahan in 06, assistant head coach and quarterbacks coach in 07, back to the Titans um, from 08 through 2010. Uh, was sick. In the 2010 season, was uh, undergoing cancer treatment, sadly, um, and then was fired by Mike Munchak. Um, and uh, replaced by Chris Palmer, which is a terrible, uh, terrible change. And Munch, uh, uh, Heimerdinger died, uh, as, as you probably recall, September of 2011 in Mexico, where he was uh, getting some um, off-the-beaten-path treatments for, for his cancer. I remember him fondly. He was a great coach, uh, a great guy. Um, 
still in touch periodically with some members of his family. I bring up Mike Heimerdinger um, on the week of the anniversary of him joining the Titans because Mike Heimerdinger is an example of what the Titans need to happen with Tim Kelly and this new offensive staff in terms of evolving an offense. So <clears throat> the Titans uh, had always been a running team. They were an Eddie George-focused team. I'm not saying this is strictly a parallel between Eddie George and Derrick Henry and Steve McNair and Ryan Tannehill or whoever may be quarterbacking the team this year. But in 2003, seemingly out of nowhere, the Titans shifted gears. And Eddie George had a bad toe, and Eddie George was uh, nearing the end. And in 2003, the Titans were fifth in points. 27.2 a game, which was a lot of points in 2003. Eighth in yards. These were real um, numbers that just stood off the charts. If you go down the column for Titans ranking in points year by year, Titans ranking in yards year by year, these jump out to you. Single-digit numbers. Whoa! This is, uh, you know, this is like what happened a, a couple of years ago when the Titans scored uh, over 30 points a game. And it was the first offensive outburst uh, of such a nature since 2003. Um, Eddie had 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 a poor year. Uh, he ran for 3.3 yards a carry this season, 2003. He'd had another year where he ran for 3.3 and one year where he ran for even less than that. Um, and he had this toe. Uh, it was his fewest carries that year by just a couple carries, a handful of carries. Steve McNair was up to 8.5 yards per attempt, the most, the highest number of his career by a lot. 100.4 passer rating, career best. And he shared the MVP that year with, uh, with Peyton Manning. Heimerdinger, story uh, David Clymer told really well, I think um, they had to go kind of to the drawing board early in the season when Eddie George wasn't getting it done. And Heimerdinger, if I'm remembering this correctly, convinced Fisher, let's open it up. Let's go with McNair and let him sling it more instead of relying as much on, on Eddie and open it up. And that 8.5 yards per attempt was really the most telling stat if you just look at, at the Titans' year-in-review numbers from 2003. Very effective, very successful. I'm not saying this year has to look like that. And a couple of years ago in Tannehill's big season, Henry ran for a ton of yards, um, and, and Tannehill's numbers did look like that. Um, but this is a kind of evolving thinking that, uh, again, doesn't have to be exactly the same. I'm not saying you have to take away a lot of Derrick Henry if he's in the backfield, but the supplementary game needs to be better. Um, and that um, comes with a better offensive line, obviously, with better wide receivers, with the defense continuing to set the offense up for better situations and all of that. But you have to think like, Heimerdinger thought. Tim Kelly needs to be Heimerdinger-esque. It's the kind of change and adaptability they need now. Tannehill's not McNair. 
But what they do see in him, what do they see in him? What more can he do given a line and weapons? Just three seasons ago, they're scoring over 30 a game. The playoff concerns with Ryan Tannehill, if he's the quarterback, are real. The Trevor Lawrence concerns about him now being the best quarterback in the AFC South are real. The concerns about two kids coming in to Houston and to Indianapolis are real, though we don't know what kind of teams those two guys are going to have around them and how good those two guys are going to be, but that's a concern, maybe more so next year than this year. But people are talking like Tannehill is dead. He's not dead. He didn't have a great year. He got hurt, didn't have a good team around him. We all know the things. He's not dead. I put my notebook over here. Ryan Tannehill's a better quarterback than 11 teams have for sure. Maybe another five teams, so it would put him better than 16, put you in the middle of the pack. Can you, and that's not counting the Colts and the Texans. Can you win with a quarterback that ranks there? You know, listen, we've had the conversation. Is he going to win four playoff games? No. He's he's not going to win your four playoff games. Is your season a failure if you if you go to the divisional round or you go to the AFC championship? Too many people say yes to that. And I don't think that's the case. Yeah. I think if the Tennessee Titans, you know, went around deep in the playoffs um, this season, which is not inconceivable if they do a good job filling in all of their holes, that would not not be a failure by any means. That would be a, a, a Big success. I'm just saying I'd be slow to get to completely dismiss Ryan Tannehill with a new coordinator, a new offensive line, better wide receivers, and better health. Now, a, a lot of the alternatives people have have uh, have wanted, Derek Carr. Derek Carr is not better than Tannehill. Um Aaron Rodgers, you can't you can't afford what it'll cost to trade for him and his money on top of Tannehill's dead money. If you want to trade up and go get one of these guys, make sure it's the right guy. Go for it. I, I personally, that's not my strategy right now, but I, I understand the the argument. Um, scrap it and go bridge quarterback uh, to to save the money. Well, next year you're going to have a ton of money anyway, so. I don't know why you have to go that extreme that far. Last thought on Mike Heimerdinger. His family is putting together, uh, has put together and been running a long time of charity that gets healthy food to cancer patients. Um, they're uh, a holistic part of the cancer treatment approach. If you want to check them out, hfmeals.org, hfmeals.org. Org. Mike Herndon this week wrote about the possibilities of a Derrick Henry trade, a Ryan Tannehill trade, and even a Jeffrey Simmons trade, a piece that you want to read at paulkuharski.com, which is a steal at $5.99 a month or 11 months, uh, 12 months of content for a price of 11 months if you get a uh, yearly membership. I know that the subscription button has been a little sticky and a little tricky. And uh, we've reformatted and redone a lot of the back end of the website. 
and it'll get you there now in a two count. So if you've tried and been frustrated in the past to join, to get the exclusive um, video broadcasts that we do, Q&As, to get everything that I write, everything that Mike writes, everything that Blake Battingfield, who's going to reemerge shortly with a uh, ideal free agent class for him, uh, the private Facebook page, all of that stuff. Go to the membership page now. Um, you click on week, uh, monthly or yearly, and it'll pop you through much faster than it's been doing. I apologize that that's been an issue. It is an issue no more. Come join us. Price of a fancy cocktail or a fancy cup of coffee, less than that. Um, and your, your uh, Titans fandom is incomplete without being a member here. And if you want to sponsor this podcast, which is growing by leaps and bounds since we've uh, joined 440, added the video element. Hopefully some of you are watching on YouTube right now. Uh, look me up, pkuharski at gmail.com. And while you're listening, please uh, like, subscribe, and rate. Um, the Titans are going to wear throwback uniforms, Houston uh, Oiler throwback uniforms uh, for a game in 2023. We knew this in March of 2022. Jim Wyatt reported this in March of 2022. He has subsequently mentioned it multiple times in the mailbags that he does, I believe twice a week, Tuesday and Saturday. Somehow this week, it gained some steam or gained some, some, some wind nationally. And uh, it became like a new store. And a lot of Titans fans were tweeting it like it was a new store. And I'm here to scold Titans fans. How do you not know this? And how are you pretending like this is new news? I, I'm here to tell you that Jets fans would never have slept on this for a year and heard about it a year later and acted like it was new. They would have been like, why are you telling me this again? I know all about it. Ravens fans, Colts fans, your arch rivals. What, how are you asleep on this? What are you doing? Are you into this team or not? Twitter goes crazy with the Titans are going to wear throwbacks and Titans fans are all like, woo, we're busting out those sweet oiler jerseys. Yeah, this has been known for a year. Are you, are you into this team or not? I, I don't understand. Like, hey, you know what else happened last year? The Titans drafted Traylon Burks. Should I go tweet that out right now? And are you going to be like, woo, we got a big receiver. Looks a little bit like A.J. Brown. Like, where have you been? I, I, I don't understand how you could sleep on something like that. Are you in or are you not in? I, I can't imagine another market in the country having known this, ha this having been out for a year where it is treated like uh, such a big new deal. Wake up out there. Like, I'm I'm baffled by this. Baffled. Social media. Jeffrey Simmons' initial play was to take all the mentions of the Titans off of his social media. 
It's just a weak play. I'm glad he went the extra step and just took down his social media. I can understand taking down your social media. You don't want to be uh, risky. You don't want to, uh, you know, you don't want to say something you're going to regret that uh, because you're frustrated with contract negotiations. Uh, and look, all Jeffrey Simmons needs to do is be patient. He absolutely deserves a new contract. He's going to get a new contract. But right now, the Titans have a lot on their plate that just is more pressing. He'll get a contract in July or August, I would bet. But but right now, there's ticking clock on other stuff. I mean, next week, free agency starts on Wednesday. They 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 got to get going on that stuff. And so, I'm sure they've told them just just wait, and we'll we'll be there. But um, take down your social media. That's fine. I went back and forth with Taylor Lewan on this. I think it's a childish move to remove the team from your social stuff. And he was like, it worked for AJ Brown. That's not what worked for AJ Brown for starters. And, uh, and he said, I don't know. Lawan said, I don't know. Only one of us here has negotiated a contract. And I said, did you take down the Titans from your socials? And he said, no, no, I didn't. But it was given to me as one strategy, but it was given to him as one strategy. And he did not follow that strategy. Because it's a stupid strategy. Do we think Rand Carthon cares if a player who wants a new contract doesn't have the Titans on their social media? It stirs up the fan base a bit, the dumber element of the fan base. But it means nothing. It, it, it means nothing. Just hold your water and, and you'll get there. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And if you wind up somehow not getting paid by the Titans, you're getting paid. But the Titans are going to pay Jeffrey Simmons. I have like 98% certainty on this. Um, so uh, uh, just calm down and be patient. If you want to be off social media during that time, that's great. But don't, don't for him or for anybody else, like it, it's, it's teenage behavior to take down your, 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 the, take down your employer off your social media. Like, like that hurts them doesn't hurt them. They don't give a shit. They really don't. It doesn't mean anything. I appreciate you joining me this week, and uh, I look forward to doing it again soon. Uh, private chat for members coming up very soon. If you're not a member, join, and you'll be part of that. And I'll take your questions, and we'll have a great conversation. In the meantime, don't block the box, but be sure absolutely to lock your locks. Be well, everybody. Thanks very much.